Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Robin Buller, your host. Today we will be talking about a new book, State, Nationalism, and the Jewish Communities of Modern Greece, with its author, Professor Evdoxios Doxiadis. He's an associate professor of history at at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to have you, Doxis, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Um, so before we dive into the book, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes. So, um, I'm originally Greek from Athens, uh, but I did all my studies in the United States. Um, originally my focus was economics actually, and uh, that's my first degree. And I went to a business school and worked for a while in the business world before I decided that that was not for me and switched back to, uh, academia, went to Berkeley, where I finished my uh, PhD. And after about five years of looking for a permanent job, I ended up here at Simon Fraser University. Um, and this was is my first book. I had an earlier book on uh, women and property and the law, uh, okay. which came out in 2012. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so then what brought you to this particular topic? How did you come to write about the Jewish communities of modern Greece? Well, this is actually an interesting um, uh, story. Uh, This started way back at Berkeley when I was doing a directed reading with my dissertation um, supervisor, John Connolly. And we did a directed reading with him. And he insisted that I do something that had nothing to do with my dissertation. (laughs) (laughs) So I chose to focus. At the time, uh, Greek Jewish history was beginning to have an impact. Some books were coming out. Some people were And now it's such a hot topic. Exactly. So I decided to focus on that um, and wrote a paper on the Romanian Jews in Greece. Okay. Um, and after I finished, John suggested that when I look for a second project after my book is done and all that, I should perhaps go back to this paper. So once I did finish, I remember his words. Uh, so I delved back into it. Uh, it's, a, it's very different uh, from what I originally envisioned I was going to do. Uh, I was going to focus on the Romanians. This is much more about the Greek state and it's had to close all the Jewish communities. And right. But uh, originally I have to, th- and I have to thank John for planting that seed in my mind. <laughs> and just to clarify for our listeners, um, who are the Romanian Jews? Right. So, I mean, th- there are multiple Jewish communities in the Balkans and the Ottoman Empire, and the Romania Jews are the oldest of the Jewish communities dating back to classical times, uh, Greek speakers, um, and the, the Jews of the Byzantine Empire all the way up to the early centuries of Ottoman rule. Uh, of course, the biggest community would be the Sephardic community that comes later in the 16th century with right. following the Spanish expulsion of Jews. Uh, and there were also other smaller communities, which I do not really delve into the book, or really nobody does, but like the Karaites and others who existed in Istanbul and elsewhere. So we have multiple Jewish communities in this. 
you were starting to discuss this in your last answer, but I'll segue into it now. As you point out in the book, the history of modern Greece has obviously been written about extensively, and the history of Jews in the region has certainly been written about as well. But before your book, nobody had really studied the relationship between these two communities, these two nations. Why do you think that is? I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, The first one is that uh, Greek Jewish history is really focused on the 20th century. Um, their interactions really begin after the Balkan Wars, which essentially is the point where my story kind of tapers off. Um, and in part, it's because there's a lot of myths that exist about the earlier part of modern Greek history, such as the, Greek, the myth of the homogeneity of the Greek state, the fact that it's assumed that the Greek state was overwhelmingly Orthodox, Christian, Greek, and so on, until the inclusion of some minorities following the Balkan Wars, which, I found, which as my book argues, is not the case. Right? Um, so right. that's one of the reasons. I think the other reason is that there is a focus on the history of the Jews of Salonika or Thessaloniki. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, almost everything that has been written about Jewish history really is focused on the Jews of Salonika, which makes sense. I mean, it's by far the largest community of right. Jews in Greece. Um, it's over two times the combined community, the rest of the community. So it's it's an a enormous uh, community, and it has a very unique history, a very important history. But right, and there's that, also the larger field, I suppose, of Sephardi studies that it absolutely. can sort of fit into. Absolutely. And I think that that has had as an effect eclipsing the Romagnots or even other Sephardi communities that are smaller. So, uh, and those were the communities that existed in the earlier modern Greek state. And for me, it was important to exactly point that out, is the fact that the Greek state develops its institutions and its policies towards Greece based on those smaller communities, not the Jews of Thessaloniki. And that, I think, to me, is a very important difference. Obviously, the Jews of Thessaloniki are enormously important, and especially in the 20th century, quite rightly, they're giving the weight that they are. Um, But that's not the case for the 19th century. Okay, and so then where where sort of does your line of inquiry come in? What are the main questions that you set out to ask about these interactions? Right. Um, so first of all, I have to clarify that my book is not a history of Jews in Greece, right? And we, there are some right. very good books about this by Catherine Fleming, Rena Mocho, and others uh, who focus on Jewish history. What I wanted to see was how did the Greek state interact and what policies it followed and why. With regards to minorities, but I chose Jews uh, in particular as the focal point um, through which I would tell that story. Hmm. Um, And to me, it was also important to see how that interaction changes over the course of the 19th century as these institutions are evolving and great policies uh, change. Okay. Uh, So I started with a basic question of the legal position of Jews. Um, You know, what was their... you know, status in the modern Greek state in the 19th century. Um, How did the Greek state interact with issues involving Jews, whether it was uh, conversions, um, you know, issues, uh, conflicts happening in the Ottoman Empire involving Jews or Christians and so on and so forth, uh, anti-Semitic acts and so on and so forth. Um, I also wanted to see um, how the incorporation of Jewish communities to the Greek state 
affected such policies or the Greek state, or if they, even the Greek state was aware, uh, if it had policies with regards mm. to the incorporation of these communities. And before we even get to the 20th century of the Balkan states, there are a number of uh, additions to the Greek state that bring in minorities, Greek, right, uh, Jewish and Muslim. And so how does that work for the Greek state? Um, and the final question was, of course, why did the Greek state react as it did? And it is important to note that often its policies um, are not necessarily popular within Greek society. Um, and there's a very, I think, a disconnect between popular po- uh, attitudes towards Jews and state attitudes towards Jews. Okay. And I think I wanted to explore that as well. Why is that happening? So how did you go about exploring questions like that then? What, in other words, you know, were your methods? What kind of sources did you consult? Sources were, of course, an issue. Um, and because I cannot use the same sources through all this period and for all the questions I want uh, to address. Right. The primary uh, archival material used were the foreign ministry archives in Athens. Okay. Um, and there was a number of reasons why I chose the foreign ministry. One was the fact that everything that involved minorities has an international dimension um, throughout this period, the 19th century and early 20th century. Um, so therefore, it it is reflected in the foreign ministry archives in the communication of the various uh, Greek diplomats. The second uh, reason is because I was I really wanted to see the policies towards uh, minorities in view of the redentist goals of the modern Greek state. Um, and in this case, we're lucky, we're fortunate because uh, there were Greek consuls in all these cities that eventually become part of the Greek state. So in Thessaloniki, in Yanina, Corfu, and so on and so forth. And they are reporting back to the Greek state. So it is easy for me to look through this and see how the state, what directions the state gives towards them, and also what reports it's receiving from its consuls, and how these differ regarding each community uh, and how they interact. So that was the focus, that was the bulk of uh, my uh, archival material. Secondarily, I used some... um, court cases from the appeal courts of Athens, especially with regards uh, to uh, conversion or property and things like that, to see how, um, in practice, uh, Jews were treated by Greek institutions. Mm. Now, for different periods, I had to go elsewhere. For example, for the Greek War of Independence, I had to use a lot of memoirs of Greek uh, war figures or also foreigners who were at the time. Hmm. Um, and they provide very useful information about that period. Um, I also used in later times some anti-Semitic tracts just to establish how um, and to show the, how popular certain ideas were in Greek society at the time, right. as well as philo-Semitic tracts, which I was quite surprised to find there were quite a few who would try to counteract this anti-Semitic uh, hmm. literature. Um, finally, I used a lot of Jewish press, especially French press, uh, for the interwar period, mm. um, mostly because of the importance of um, the Alliance schools and the role French Jews and Jewish publication played and how much they covered uh, what was happening in Greece during this period, the interwar period, uh, as well as some missionary press for the earlier part. Uh, this is uh, Protestant missionary press uh, in order to discuss Greek religious policies in general. 
uh, and how they perceive Greece is uh, dealing with religious minorities. Got it. So even though it's, you know, a history about the Greek state and its interactions with Jews, it's really sort of like multilingual and there's an international element that's sort of present throughout, it seems. Right. Absolutely. Um, So let's go to the beginning of the establishment of the Greek state. How did the Greek War of Independence impact relations between Greeks and Jews or between the Greek state and Jews? And how did new definitions, although maybe they weren't, they had already emerged decades before, but new ideas about Greek identity impact these relations? Right. Here, the first thing I think I have to clarify is the word Greek is problematic itself, right? At Uh, this period. Um, Sure, yes. So when we're talking about uh, identity, um, we have to go quite a little bit back to the Ottoman period. Uh, because the Ottomans do not see Greeks, right? They see Orthodox Christians. Their work, uh, so they're, they're the way they structure their understanding of others is through religion. Um, okay. So um, it is important to know that unlike a lot of, much of Europe, almost all of Europe, um, Jews and Christians are second-class citizens to Muslims, but equal to each other, hmm. legally, okay. within the Ottoman Empire. Um, up until the you know, the Ottoman conquest, probably Jewish history is very similar to what we can expect in medieval times throughout Europe. But under the Ottomans, Jews and Christians are equals. That does not mean they have good relations with each other. Quite the opposite. There's a lot <laughs> of conflict, um, but it's a conflict between equals. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of things happening for both sides and trying to get, and there's a lot of competition, uh, sometimes in a good sense, sometimes in a bad sense. So they're both involved in finance and trade and so on. Uh, competing against each other. And there are times where uh, the Jewish community can be ascendant under Joseph Nasi, for example. It's a very famous period under Suleiman the Magnificent where he is a dominant financier uh, and administrator of some provinces and so on and so forth. Or under Christians, like the Fanariots, who towards the last part of the 18th century, they even penetrate Ottoman administration. So the relationship is one of equals even though they're in competition and often at odds with each other. I see. Now, when we're talking how it's, we're talking about Christians, and I'm very careful, I think, to try to make that distinction that we're talking about Christians, not necessarily Greeks. So okay, a lot yes. of people are not Greek speakers, like we're talking about. There can be Albanian speakers, Vlach speakers, and so on and so forth. Right. And Greek speakers can be obviously Jews, as I said, they're Romanians, but also Muslims, also Catholics, uh, and so on. And they are not part of this group identity that we eventually will call Greeks. Right, the Orthodox yeah. Christian. Exactly. So when the Greek War of Independence erupts, it is, it is a very mixed bag. On the one hand, the identity is clearly associated with Greek Orthodox. So Albanian speakers who are Orthodox Greeks eagerly participate in the Greek War of Independence, Greek speakers who are Catholic, especially in the islands of the Aegean, uh, want nothing to do with it. And they try to declare their neutrality and not participate in the Greek War of Independence. Um, Jews generally tend to side with the established authorities of the Ottomans. So Mm -hmm. in the eyes of the Christian rebels, uh, Jews are tied together with the Muslim population. 
And in the areas where the uh, revolt succeeds, that often leads to massacres uh, of uh, both Jews and Muslims. Essentially wiping out most of the communities of what we would, would eventually become the modern Greek state. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and of course, a lot of people flee. Some others are uh, converted to Christianity and so on. Now, the same is happening, of course, from the other side, where uh, Ottomans restore authority. Often that is followed by massacres of the Christian population. Right. Seven Isles, etc. So, um, although I've been, I'm hesitant to use the word genocidal war. Uh, this is how it is often described by foreigners at the time, like George Finlay, who calls it a war of extermination. Right. Um, so at the ground roots, this is uh, how the war is processing. But then we have uh, the fact that there's a lot of the leadership of the Greek revolt, including those who orchestrated it, who are very much influenced by the ideas of the French Revolution and the American Constitution uh, and want to create a uh, a country based on laws, a republican system. Um, and a lot of the early legislation is very uh, progressive for the time. Uh, they abolish the slavery, uh, they institute uh, equality among all religions, etc., etc. Even though other elements turn in. So at first, only Orthodox Christians are identified as citizens. That changes as with progressive constitutions who increasingly are more liberal. Mm. So we have two different strands. At the grassroots, we have extreme violence. And at the higher levels, when they're trying to craft the institutions, we have an understanding that, well, perhaps we have to open this to others. Uh, And this is uh, a tension that exists all the way till the very end of the Greek War of Independence. I see. And so, so then after the Greek War of Independence ends... Um, we have this period that, you know, the bulk of it's in, in the 19th century that I think sort of is in which you articulate the meat of your argument. And obviously these ideas of nationhood and citizenship and belonging, as you just discussed, are extremely complicated and they're constantly changing. So during this period, after Greek independence has been achieved... How did these ideas continue to evolve and how and in what ways did Jews fit into their definitions, if at all? Right. Um, and this is the interesting part. So I don't I I would argue that Jews or any other uh, religious minority, Muslims as well, and mm-hmm. um, would not fit in the definition of the nation as it evolves in Greece. Okay. However, from the very beginning, they are accepted in as citizens, um, So, which is a surprising, for Europe at the time, it's actually quite surprising, that they right. give in all rights of citizenship. There's nothing barring a Jew or a Muslim from not only having the right to vote in municipal elections later mm. uh, in the others, but also to be elected or hold That's before any kind of Before Jews had citizenship rights in even Germany. Exactly. Isn't that right? Which, yeah. Well, they briefly get them under the French uh, when the French conquered Germany, but uh, ah, yeah, yes. but but yes, essentially that is true. Right. Um, now it is important to note that the reason that happens is because they are not a threat. Most of the Jewish communities and the Muslim communities have been wiped out. There's only few left in uh, Eboya, the, the northern 
uh, part of the state at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are not perceived as a threat as they were originally. What what we're going to do? How are they going to affect? And so there's no f- reason to deny them political representation. They give that to everybody, and they do the same also for other minorities like Catholics, Protestants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the early years um, that becomes part of the Greek structure, uh, the Greek. Uh, Greek law and the Greek uh, constitutions eventually. Um, but that does not mean that they're accepted as part of the Greek nation. Right? And increasingly, the Greek nation becomes identified first with religion and then also with language, the Greek language. As we go down the 19th century, that becomes more significant as Greece is in competition with other emerging Balkan states over the same territories. Mm. And they're also Orthodox Christians, so you have to differentiate between them uh, and Greece. Um, And I think it's that competition that is transforming that relationship between Greeks and Jews in many ways. Um, For example, uh, up until the 1860s, 1880s, there is really no idea of trying to approach other minorities to incorporate, to entice them to accept Greek rule in the areas of the Ottoman Empire. There mm. is the concept of the great idea of uh, the Megalidea that Greece is going to expand to incorporate all areas that are seen as part of the Greek uh, ideal state. Right. Um, it, it's really not very clearly defined uh, what they actually want. It's more the Byzantine state, like the later Byzantine Empire that they have. Ah, uh, I see, I see. Yeah, uh, but the, the concept is that eventually that's, the expansion, and that, of course, will bring in minorities. Um, right. These are areas that have Jewish and Muslim populations and others. Um, so I think for the very beginning, the Greek state is aware that they will have to deal with minorities, even if they don't necessarily have them at that, right at the time in significant numbers. So, And they have to convince um, the foreign powers, the great powers, that they are able and capable of incorporating those areas without bloodshed and without conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, after all, nobody in the right mind believes that the Greek state is going to defeat the Ottoman Empire and conquer those territories. The way they're assuming this is going to happen is by making the great powers force the Ottoman Empire to cede those territories to Greece. I see. Um, and the first one comes very early. Uh, 1863, when the Ionian Islands come to Greece, uh, they're incorporated to Greece, handed over by the British government. That brings in a very significant Jewish uh, community that lives, mm. uh, especially on Corfu, but also in Zagreb and elsewhere. Right. Um, and many of these Jews are not Greek speakers. Uh, they're Italian, they're Sephardic speakers. Some mm. are Greek speakers. Um, so the Greek state has to, to accommodate this new change. And interestingly enough, by becoming members of the Greek state, those Jews as achieve um, political rights, which they didn't under the British. I see. Um, so, and um, there's an interesting uh, idea that perhaps this incorporation sparks the local anti-Semitism that is quite significant at, uh, in those islands going towards the end of the 19th century. Same thing, 1881, when Thessaly is incorporated into the Greek state, again, significant numbers of Muslims and Jews are brought into the Greek state. In both cases, the Greek state is trying very hard to 
convince these minorities to stay in Greece and to become part of the Greek state, to show that it is capable of uh, treating them fairly in many ways. And so why, why is it that incorporation into the Greek state of these regions would spark local violence when these communities had lived together? You know, I'm sure there were some violent moments, but in relative peace before that? Well, I think it's, the relative peace is debatable. Um, okay. Because they <laughs> were, uh, there were instances of uh, violence in the past through Venetian periods and going into the British. Uh, okay. Many foreign travelers uh, comment on local Greek anti-Semitism, even when under the British. Okay. Uh, but I think one important element to remember is that whereas the Greeks do achieve some level of political rights under the British, Jews do not. Okay, um, so there's they're sort of above them in a in a hierarchy. Exactly. That's been created. I see. And once they are incorporated to the Greek state, then they achieve the same equality, and then of course it becomes a political issue. Uh, Jewish votes can influence elections. Right. And we'll see that, of course, later on again in Thessaloniki and in Salonika, right. one with the corporation. But that is a real concern for the local politicians, that the Jewish vote could affect what happens to the elections. Um, Jews were excluded for certain uh, commercial clubs uh, and so on. That, again, is no longer uh, legal in many ways. So uh, the local population feels uh, highly threatened. Uh, that they, especially the elite, that they will lose the position that they have. Um, now, what I've, and eventually, of course, this leads to uh, a fairly significant pogrom uh, in Corfu at the end of the century, uh, where right. for several days we have violence against Jews with several people killed and also uh, essentially an economic blockade of Jewish business uh, and the neighborhoods. Um, and it's interesting that local uh, authorities are very slow to react. Uh, and, and many of the local politicians are actually eagerly spurring this violence, unlike the Greek government, the central government in Athens, which tries to end it because that is showing a very bad image to the rest of the world and eventually send police and actually launch an investigation as to the origins and who was responsible and penalize mm. some of the local officials for the violence that happened in Corfu. So in a sense, there's also a tension between the Greek state and the Christian local populations as well. Absolutely. Um, and these are not necessarily popular stances by the Greek state. We have other instances of anti-Semitic. Earlier on, we have, of course, the Pacific affair in Athens, um, where the Greek government often takes unpopular um, positions, but which are essential to show to the foreign powers and especially the Greek powers that it is a state of, of law. It's able to implement its law and it will defend and protect minorities within its territory. I see. I see. And so speaking of, um, well, you've mentioned Salonika, we've discussed expansion. Um, one key moment during the latter decades of this significant period is the acquisition of the province of Macedonia and Salonika, which became Thessaloniki, of course. So what is the significance of this acquisition and this expansion to the history of um, Jewish-Greek interactions and of how the Greek state uh, had a relationship with Jews? 
I mean, I don't think I, uh, there's a way to overstate the significance. Um, okay. Saloniki <laughs> has been, uh, was a problem actually way long before it was incorporated to the Greek state. Okay, um, how so? So first of all, the whole of Macedonia and of course Salonika is a contested area. Uh, multiple states uh, that have emerged in the 19th century, Bulgaria, Serbia, Greece, are actively trying to... Uh, take part over the whole of Macedonia, while right. other minorities, also the region, like uh, the Vlach-speaking, the Romanian-speaking minority, uh, the Albanian, uh, are trying to create some sort of other state or their own representation. So it's, right. and of course, it's still under the Ottoman Empire. So you have all these actors playing at the same time. Right. Um, and the significance of uh, Thessaloniki as the biggest, the largest city, the most important commercial uh, center is, of course, great. Uh, for the Greeks, it is a problem area because exactly it has a Jewish plurality uh, for most of the 19th century. Um, and relations between the local Jewish population and the, or- the Christian population are not anything by good. Um, there are a lot of conflicts uh, in that area and that those are reported back to the Greek state in a very mm-hmm. strong anti-Semitic language. May add, which we do not see in other areas also coveted by the Greek state, like Yanina, where the local consul barely ever mentions Jews unless it has there's a right against Jews by Christians at the time, and he mm. briefly describes that and so on. So mm. the, the difference is stark in how it is reported by the Greeks, way long before uh, it is included in the Greek state. The second uh, issue that evolves is that the local Jewish community is clearly not eager to join the Greek state. Um, so at, ideally, they would have preferred to stay under the Ottomans, uh, but as that becomes with the Balkan Wars impossible, various other plans are floated, whether to, right. as uh, a free city, an independent, uh, autonomous city, international city, um, or joining the Bulgarians were ju- arrived just outside the city, essentially. They just failed to capture it by a few days. Mm. Um, and it should be noted here that the Bulgarian population, the Bulgarian government, is actively trying to bring this about, and they send their own agents, mostly uh, Bulgarian Jews, to you know, effect a propaganda in the city in order to join their side. Because everybody knows that no matter what happens to the war, the ultimate decision is going to come from the great powers. They're the ones who are going to, if you want, draft the new uh, states and the new acquisitions. Mm. Uh, what is interesting uh, for me is that the Greek state responds by saying Greek Jews to counter the propaganda of the Bulgarian Jewish uh, agents. Um, so there, mm. I, I did find a very interesting document where the foreign ministry instructs the army to get all the Jewish officers from the Greek army and send them to the Saloniki to counter that propaganda. Uh, which is interesting in two parts. First of all, that there are Greek Jewish officers in the, the, right, the Greek right. army, but also that they're trusted enough to be sent to actually advocate for the Greek state. Uh, right. I guess there. Um, eventually, of course, the Saloniki becomes Greek. Um, but again, it was a very close situation. And it becomes Greek in a very special way. The Jewish community managed to get uh, quite a lot of exemptions from the Greek state. For example, for many years, uh, Jews do not have to serve to the Greek army. Uh, they have 
quite a lot of independence in legal matters and so on and so forth. Okay. So it is an, a, a different situation that happens in Salonka than elsewhere. And because of its size and the size of the population, from that point onwards, I think it dominates uh, the, the mindset of the Greek state with regards to the Jewish question. I see. And so then another key event, just in terms of the development of not only the relationship between the Greek state and, and Jews, but this broader idea of Greek identity in the Greek nation is um, the end of the Greco-Turkish War and the, the population exchange that occurred. So how did this impact interwar politics and the treatment of, I suppose, not only Jews, but minorities in general in the region? Yes, and this is uh, a very traumatic period, and I have to say for uh, those who do not know Greek history, uh, yes. for the Greek state. Even though the Greek state from 1912 to essentially uh, 1922, more than almost doubles in size uh, and population, uh, mm. the end is a traumatic experience. Um, it show, it uh, ends this great idea. This idea that the Greek state is going to expand without incorporating some fundamental elements of that goal. Istanbul, of course, but also the Asia Minor coast, uh, Izmir, and so on and so forth. Not only that, about 1.5 million Christians are expelled from Turkey and uh, abroad into Greece, and about half a million Muslims go the other way. Um, so that those are dramatic. Uh, transformations at the same time when this comes at the end of a t- almost 10 years of constant warfare, uh, bad economic conditions, etc. And a political divide. Um, in From 1915 onwards, we have uh, essentially a political uh, split in Greece, what's called uh, the national schism between royalists and republicans. Uh, and that will carry all the way to the Second World War, um, which is, uh, it leads to a early civil war during just before the uh, First World War and, and the Greek entry to the war and continues with number of coups and plots, etc., etc. So mm-hmm. in this environment, uh, you also have 1.5 million refugees coming into Greece. Right. right. And these refugees are for the most part uh, highly uh, pro-Republican and anti-Royalist. Uh, uh, they blame essentially the monarchist government that was in power when the uh, disaster happened uh, for their fate, mm-hmm. and they become very um, So the Republicans have you see them as a very loyal and important political base, and many are settled in areas that would help the Greek state transform that those regions into solidly Greek. Uh, Macedonia, of course, being a very important one, and Thessaloniki, Salonika as well. Mm. So Salonika goes from being a mostly Jewish city to one being predominantly Christian. Right. And Greek. Um, So that is the first dramatic, and this happens very rapidly, uh, within a few years of this case. And this comes at the end, on top of a fire in 1917 that had destroyed much of Thessaloniki to begin with, uh, which gave another opportunity to the Greek state to completely redraw the city right, uh, and break up the Jewish uh, neighborhoods and the Jewish presence in the center and expand it uh, and populate it with Christians. Mm. Um, so 
already we can see a lot of the potential for conflict, and of course that materializes uh, in the interwar period, uh, where the Greek state targets the Jewish community of Thessaloniki, uh, often with legislation, uh, the most egregious one being uh, the separate electoral college, whereas all Jews elsewhere are voting uh, alongside everybody else, in Thessaloniki, uh, Jews are placed in a separate electoral college. They're given guaranteed representation, a few members of parliament, but takes mm. the vote out of the general election. So their political right. power is minimized. It's uh, not numerically... Uh, exactly. It will yeah, not affect... Reflecting of their, of their numbers. Exactly. Um, and, uh, of course, the Safari community protests this, uh, often protested to the League of Nations, Greek, which mm. actually has to defend some of these policies. Other policies target uh, uh, education, uh, for example, the teaching of Sephardic or French in their schools as opposed to Greek, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Again, these are really targeted to this community. Um, many of the other communities can have side effects. So, for example, when the uh, Sunday rest laws are uh, enforced, Finally, uh, that has an effect on all Jews throughout Greece. But really, they are targeting the Sephardic community. Mm. Um, and I think that creates also a local environment uh, of intense anti-Semitism. Uh, we have the only real anti-Semitic organization emerge in Thessaloniki, and that remains its stronghold. We have the only uh, pogrom in the interwar periods happen in Thessaloniki. Um, so these the tensions that exist there are unlike what we have seen anywhere else. And they are accused, the Jews of the Saloniki, of not being patriotic. That is, that is what the cause of the pogrom, and that is very recent, not only the, if you want, the uh, rhetoric of anti-Semites, but also the government itself. Hmm. And uh, I was very lucky to find a very interesting quote by the prime minister of the time, Venizelos, who's the architect of this expansion of the Greek state and so on, and seen as uh, a hero figure for the liberals and the Republicans, who essentially says to a French reporter, like, we have nothing against Jews. We have our problem with the Jews of Thessaloniki. We have nothing against the other Jews of the rest of Greece who are loyal Greek patriots. Right? So they, they, he draws a distinction within these two communities. It's so interesting because it seems like for a moment with the acquisition of Salonika, there was an attempt to sort of paint all Jews within Greece's borders with the same brush and have them become one, you know, minority population in the state. And it, it really only lasted for a few years. Absolutely. Yes. And I think the main, the reason behind this is the fact that the Greek state goes from being an irredentist state, one that is seeking to incorporate territories, to a defensive state, one that tries to defend what we have against the claims of others, especially the losers of uh, the First World War, namely Bulgaria, that has claims in Macedonia. Mm. So it goes from trying to entice minorities who are on the fence, who do not have a direct stake at this, like Jews, like Vlachs, for example, or so mm-hmm. on, to join their side to one where they want to defend against possibly these minorities turning against them uh, and supporting right. somebody from the outside. And there are, especially under the dictatorship or from 1936 to 1941 of the Daxas, 
we have laws that go far beyond Jews. In fact, they target mostly uh, Slavic-speaking Christians, uh, Vlach-speaking Christians, and so on. Um, if anything, the dictators, uh, the dictatorship is beneficial to Jews in the fact that it suppresses anti-Semitism, disorganized anti-Semitism. Hmm. So since you brought us into the Metaxas period, and your book has looked at the relationship between the Greek state and its minority populations, you know, from the establishment of the Greek state itself. How do you explain what happened to the Jews of Greece, which, um, you know, arguably the population that was most devastated was that of Thessaloniki, but of course there were, there was persecution throughout Greece. How do we explain what happened? And uh, is it a continuation of, you know, the way that the Greek state was going in its treatment of Jews and minorities, or was it a departure or a bit of both? It, it's a very interesting um, question, and I don't think it has a single answer. Um, hmm. I would say a departure, uh, but we have to uh, put it in a, a certain framework. Um because I think the change really happens in the interwar period uh, at the end of the great ideas mm-hmm. I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a lot, some historians have actually uh, pointed out quite convincingly that there certainly was complicity from Greek state authorities uh, for the Holocaust. Uh, now, of course, Greece right. is under occupation. Uh, so right. these are state authorities that, have, that are collaborating with uh, the Germans. Mm. Um, but as uh, Andrea Apostolou has shown, it's quite clear that quite a few of them um, were involved in the Holocaust and benefited from the Holocaust, especially mm. Thessaloniki. Um, mm. uh, and that is very clear once we start looking at what happens to Jewish property and so mm. on and so forth. Now, others have shown a more, have problematized this idea, um, even with regards to the collaborators. Right? Um, so, uh, there are some very interesting articles in, that are coming out now that are looking to other parts of Greece, uh, where you see uh, even forces that are collaborating with the occupiers who are sheltering Jews or at least not handing them over for the Holocaust. So it really is a local uh, issue to begin with. For sh- absolutely, I would say, with regards to Thessaloniki, it is not necessarily a departure. Uh, as far as the municipal and local authorities are concerned. Hmm. Uh, you, we may see it as a continuation, especially when we, for perhaps not for the Holocaust itself, but for issues like what happens to the cemetery, what happens to Jewish property, uh, etc. But I don't think we can say that for the rest of Greece. And I think this is where it becomes uh, very complicated when we see areas like Athens, for example, or Volos, or Evia, where uh, the authorities, including the police, are sheltering Jews, or this church, of all things, uh, are actually actively uh, trying to shelter uh, Jews in those areas. Um, It's also a question of who who are the Greek authorities at the time? Because, yes, there's the government in exile, which never uh, endorses anything that happens uh, by the collaboration government. Uh, there's the communists who have a shadow government in the mountains who are very actively engaged against the Holocaust and try to prevent it and on occasion they manage to spirit out 
quite a lot of people. Mm. Uh, so again, it is unclear that we are talking about state agents the way we could speak before the, the occupation of Greece. Mm. I think when it becomes a little bit more clear is post the Second World War. How so? Where, because that is the period when, because of the Greek Civil War uh, and the conflict between communists and nationalists, and the need of the nationalists to accommodate former collaborations, um, essentially they whitewash to a great degree many of what many of the things that happened during the Holocaust: uh, appropriation of property, um, it, the involvement of individuals during the Holocaust, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, in many ways, the real departure happens both before and after the Holocaust. I think the Holocaust itself is very unique mm-hmm. um, and not really and directed in any ways by the Greek state. And even some of the highest levels of authority, like the Prime Minister Rallis and others, um, objected to the deportation of some of the Jews, and especially the Jews of what they call Old Greece, the pre-Balkan War Greece. The Romaniot. The Romaniot, in, for the most part, Romaniot Greek-speaking, um, as citizens, loyal citizens of the Greek state. They did not do the same, of course, for the Thessaloniki Jews. Um, so again, it's a very complex image. It's emerging. There's a new book out, uh, The Holocaust in Greece, which addresses many of these questions. Um, but again, we should. It should uh, we are hoping to future uh, research to broaden it and look much more into communities that are not in the northern part of Greece, which bore right. the brunt of uh, the Holocaust, also because the Germans occupied it from the beginning. And I think that is another thing to keep in mind. Much of Greece was under Italian occupation until 1943. Um, we did not have the same policies there that we had in the German occupation. Areas. So that also right. plays a role. Um, it, it's a very complex situation. Um, but I would not take what happens in the Saloniki and expand it for the rest of Greece necessarily. But nor would I say that what happens in the Saloniki is absolutely exceptional. Mm. A good, a good answer to a very complicated question, <laughs> yeah. indeed. Um, we've taken up a lot of your time, Doxis. But before I let you know, or I let you go, I want to ask, and I know this is often a difficult question because you've just spent years working on this project. <laughs> but what are you working on next? Um, my. Next project, I think, is going to be a, a departure from this, uh, but going back a little bit to what I was doing with my first book, and I'm mm. going to be focusing on uh, women in the courts of the Greek state and try to find what their position was there, what their rights were, um, something that has not really been done um, with the sources. Uh, with the is this in the 19th century or from the beginning of the establishment so, of the Greek state? Or? From the establishment of the Greek state in the 1830s, um, probably to around the 1890s, I'm hoping to do this. Um, okay. so look at selected points. And I also want to look into um, women from the minority and how, what access they have in the courts. So I have seen quite a few Jewish and especially Muslim or formerly Muslim women actively mm. use the Greek courts. Uh, so I, I really do want to look into the ability of non-Christian women in these courts as well. Interesting. That sounds like a really interesting book, and I imagine that there will be some compelling questions with like continuation from Ottoman yeah. times uh, 
in terms Absolutely. of access to courts. Interesting. Well, I look forward to reading that book and I hope to have you back on the show. You, well, I suppose that doesn't have much to do with Jewish history, but it'll have a little bit to do with Jewish history. So we can make an excuse <laughs> um, and good luck with that. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for joining us today. This was a really great discussion. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Thank you. So thank you for turning into tuning into new books in Jewish studies. That was Evdoxios Doxiadis discussing his new book out through Bloomsbury Press, State, Nationalism, and the Jewish Communities of Modern Greece. Thanks for listening.